0: I was miserable, too, because it was I, I was at a place where I was doing the news, and that was taking up so much of my day and so much of my energy, like mental energy, because uh, when you're covering social issues and politics, it's draining. You're talking about big issues. I'm talking about rape cases and immigration and racism Ugh. and gang violence, and then I got to go and be funny at night. And a lot of nights, I would get off work and just not have it in me to go do anything. Uh, and then I looked up one day. I was like, shit, I haven't hit a stage in like three months. And so I would go do like an open mic, and then I would come home, and it would be another three, four months, and I was out of town. And how with did my,
1: you feel when you got back on stage?
0: I felt like I was alive again. Like I met my, um, I met my current wife, uh, like in around Christmas, and we went out of town in April. We went to Virginia. And when I popped up at this comedy club, I just went and went to go see a homeboy of mine who was performing. And the host, when he saw me, he was like, oh, shit, Felonious Monk is in the building, y'all. Y'all give it up, Felonious Monk. We used to do clubs together, da 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 Fuck it, man. You want to do some time? And I was like, yeah, I'll do some time. And my wife was like, is like, fuck, this motherfucker talking about do some time. Like, was what, y'all oh, she going she didn't to know j-? you was a stand-up? She had never, because I had been, the, the from the whole, we had been together like four months. I hadn't done stand-up the, the whole time we were together. Oh, wow. So when I pop up on stage she's like, "Yo." You, you're good at that. I was like, yeah, I'm alright. She was like, nah, what the fuck? You don't do, like, you don't perform regularly? I was like, nah, I'm taking some time off. And then right around that time, me and Dave started to uh, put together our Blips the Life thing, and, you know, it turned into me getting back into going on stage regularly. But See, that's crazy But after those eight me. months, I, was, I didn't realize how much I was missing. And that's the thing, like, when you take off, you can numb yourself to it, right? You can feel like, ah, it's okay. But... When you get back on stage, you realize, man, I haven't been happy in eight months. I'm just going through the motions. I can't do it anymore. I've done it once, and I didn't learn whatever fucking lesson it was they wanted me to learn from not doing stand-up. So, nah, I couldn't. Don't do not do stand Fuck y'all.
1: Sometimes Y'all this is Kelly Talks with Monk We here talking about art today Art, your art My your art. art, our art your What passion. is that? Your passion, right? So I had a conversation with my therapist um, Yesterday And She said to me Have you thought about Stopping stand-up? Now I've been a stand-up for going on 11 years now It'll be 11 years in June um, And the only time I've ever stopped Was when I had my daughter, but I didn't really stop because I I gave birth to her and then was on stage within a with probably within 3 weeks of having given birth. And then was on stage every weekend when she was in the hospital, so it really wasn't a stop. Yeah. And then once she passed, I got the own thing, my life is a joke, and I started to Get TV shit then because they felt like I had a story in me and I could tell something great. That's when um, that's when Hollywood's jump on your boat when they when they see that when they see, when something, you, fucked when they see you something fucked up and they, they think you can rise from it. Um, <laughs> So I started getting all that stuff and I've never even considered stop and stand up. So when she said that and I've had this conversation with Mike as well. Because, you know, your, your your mate is who you go to when you feel the most confusion or you should be able to go to, let me say that, uh, when you feel the most confusion. And so I go to him and I'm like, I don't know. What I'm doing right now, I don't feel like I'm headed. I don't know if this is what it is. I don't, you know, and I have all these questions. But I think that everybody has those questions. I don't think it's like a doubt where I'm like I can't do this. I think it's more so like, am am I really, yeah, how am I supposed, or am I really doing it the way that it should be done for me versus me running behind, quote unquote, the way to do it.
0: Changing, chasing the laugh. So there's when I when I first started, I started in all black rooms and i wanted mm, to do too. the same material that i'm doing now That's different. and it was bombing mm-hmm. you know and it was bombing because of two things one i wasn't a very good comedian i just started i didn't know shit about being funny other than how funny i was in a barbershop shop uh, but the other thing was you feel that peer pressure to just get the laugh now and so you start abandoning what it is that you want to say just to make them laugh, and you're going to hump the stool and dance around and do whatever yes. it takes to make them laugh. I almost and that's turned not into like a
1: minstrel show, like, you where you're just up a... there like, look at me, I can right. do this, and I can talk about dicks, and I can do all this right. other random shit just because I want you to laugh.
0: Because I want you to laugh. and Well, then the other, the other side of that is I figured out how to be funny in that space without selling myself out, and then I started doing a lot of mainstream rooms. And when I first started doing mainstream rooms, I noticed all of the comics stood still and didn't move and and, then talk real low. And I was like, well shit, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I tried that and my material was still funny enough to get them to laugh, but I wasn't getting the laughs I was used to. And so finally one day I was like, yo, this is not, you don't do it the way anybody does it. What makes you funny is you. You know what I mean? Yeah, your own
1: personal perspective on that.
0: And if you move, like there's some jokes where I move around a whole lot, and there's some jokes where I stand fucking still, and there's some jokes where I yell and raise my voice, and there's some jokes where I'm just talking. But the the bottom line is, the only way for you to figure it out, and and this is the hardest part for people to grasp if they don't do stand-up. It's not like any other type of art where you can sit back and practice and then go forward in public. Stand-up, you have to go on stage. You have to. You can't figure the jokes out, even if you write them a million times a million different ways. They're not gonna come out like that. You can't figure out which way they work the best until you go on stage. And perform them. And if, you know, for me it was, I wanna be able to say something in my jokes but not be preachy. The only way to figure out that balance was to actually go on stage and tell a joke like "Negrophobia," which is about statistics and rape, you know, murder rates and all of this shit, which sounds, even in conversation, like, nigga, don't nobody wanna hear that shit? But if you ever see the joke, it's funny. that motherfucker works. It. And so it came, but the only way that happened, I've been doing that joke for eight months before it really worked the way I wanted it to. Right. It, it had worked before. I've done it in fucking auditions for JFL and, and, and NBC. I've done it the old way and people laughed. But the way I do it now is so much better because the laughs are consistent and the point never changes.
1: And you got work- yeah, to keep working. Yeah, I have material that I know is going to work no matter what. Even if I right. change up... Even if I change up where I place it in the lineup, because I do that a lot, mm-hmm. I've had so many people. And excuse me, I'm eating a Kit Kat, y'all. Uh, so I'm
0: <laughs> healthy eating.
1: My bad. Just um, call it uh, you eat, know what? Eat
0: clean, train dirty.
1: I do. <laughs> I do eat clean <laughs> sometimes, but today, today I wanted that damn Kit Kat. It was looking at me. I was looking at it. We had a connection. Um, but yo, yo, I've had people come up to me and say, "I've seen that joke a million times." and it is so funny and i've seen you a million times and even when you're talking about the same thing it's a different, it's a different if it's a different, different experience for me and that's cuz i usually don't put jokes in I i don't have a set per se i have jokes that i like and when i'm going on stage if i'm talking about a particular topic then i'll take those jokes and i'll call upon the jokes that i know will be fitting to this particular topic or delivery i'm trying to give in this moment but I don't sit and try to figure out nah. how to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't well, spend is, all that time. If you're time, gonna do
0: a set, if you're gonna have, like, if you're, if you're preparing for an hour that you're gonna record, not for an album necessarily, but for TV, for example, if that's what you're preparing for, then you still need to go and work material out. You don't go and work your whole hour out at a time. You don't even work it out in 10, 15 minute chunks. You work all of the jokes out, you find the best hours worth of jokes, and then You find a way to put them in the order that you need to to make this show work.
1: Did you see the Carmack special? Yeah. I didn't see that, but... um, There's a
0: a lot of debate There's a lot of, yeah. So I am the guy who liked the special, and I don't know how many of us there are. Maybe not as many as I thought it was when I saw it, but the reason I liked it was because it was exactly that process I was just talking about. It wasn't necessarily a polished special. He's acknowledged that a lot of that material the first time he did it was that night, which is... Completely unusual for a special, but it's completely normal for a stand-up
1: comedy. For a stand-up, yes. And so for
0: for me as a stand-up. So it's the real process. It's the real process. And what I saw was, and he, what was it called, Uh night at the store or something. That it was like one guy going out one night and doing stand-up the way that we do stand-up. So that I liked it from that standpoint. I get people saying, oh, this joke wasn't funny, that joke wasn't funny. I've done that on a number of occasions where I've had an hour where the hour was solid itself, but there were several parts of it that weren't good. Now for me... Because I'm a a perfectionist, if I were to record it, I would want my hour to be perfect all the way through. I would want every joke to hit.
1: The way you want it to hit, yeah. But
0: I think that as far as personalities, and he's a perfect example. He did our, uh, me and Dave used to have a podcast called Blips to Life. He did our podcast once, and we discussed stand-up. And he said, whoever's telling you how to do it is telling you how they want to do it. Yeah. Do it your way. there's no, there's no. Rhyme or reason to this shit wouldn't be in funny. So when you go on, you're not trying to be the next Eddie Murphy or the next Richard Pryor, the next Chris Rock or the next Dave Chappelle. You're trying to be you. And you can't be you by following their footprints. You That's have what to I've do always am-
1: admired about Carmichael. I mm-hmm. met him one time in LA. With Tiffany, and we walked into the Laugh Factory. He was standing, you know. And in LA, they have a, a, a habit of telling people your credits as they introduce you, right? Yeah. So, hey, this is Kelly from Last Comic Standing. This is, so you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is Felonious Small from The Night Show, right? This is what they do, and it's, it's so irritating. And I'm seeing this dude leaning there, and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" He was super cordial, super cool,
0: very laid back, and
1: didn't even talk anything about comedy or what was going on. They were talking about another conversation. I think he was talking to the bouncer at the time, and we were just. Power on about a little bit of nothing, mm-hmm. and then the next thing I know, I see the Carmichael show right. on TV, and it's just like that to me is a real motherfucker because we we get caught up in the commercialization part of stand up so much mm-hmm. where we start changing who we are, changing what's expected, yeah. changing what we talk about to fit what we think Hollywood wants or what the people want, and I and I and they I, I guess want. that's I guess that's um, a valid. Thing in and 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 if you're and, trying, and to, if sell you're trying to sell right, if you're trying to sell a product, but most of the time we're just selling our art well, and what we, well, we happen is, to actually commercialize on our art, yeah, you his, know, but his it's stand not up purposeful, is, I don't think.
0: His stand up uh-huh. is such he takes the contrarian uh, angle a lot of times, like Patrice did, where he would take, I know this is what everybody thinks, I'm gonna take the exact opposite take on that and see if I can make it make sense. And it's and it's funny because immediately when he tells you the premise you go hell no there's no way I'm gonna get on board with this joke yeah. so he or he starts you outside of the boat right. and then he gradually pulls you in on it like he's got the bit about um he knows Michael Jackson molested those kids but <laughs> but Michael Jackson made amazing music and no one needs inspiration more than those kids So you have to give those kids Michael Jackson's music. And it's a horrible idea. And and you're like, nah, man, you can't play the (laughs) abuser's music for the people they abuse. But the outside of that is, it's Michael Jackson. And we do take liberties with people that are super talented. So his premise was, there's a certain amount of talent that you could have that people will overlook fucked up shit. And it's a horrible idea, but you have to be a really good comedian to make people even chuckle at that, especially in L.A. But what what I think is,
1: gosh, it was so. I was out there last week. It's so it's, superficial. Like, I lived there. All of
0: them are out there, like man, this is some bull. You got to do so, it. It's
1: so. It's terrible. Like I lived there for two years. I know what it's like. But yeah. when every time I come back out there, it's almost like culture shock again. It's like, oh shit, oh my god, I forgot I was. I forgot I was in this place. You can't
0: say honest words.
1: You. Can, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like my, <laughs> I was standing. It's the
0: opposite with, of New York in that way.
1: I was standing mm-hmm. with my home girl, and uh, I came in, and she was saying something. And I was like, oh, shit, let me, let me eat that or let me something. So I pulled my tooth out. And she was like, bitch. And she just had a fit. And she was like, you, what the hell just happened? I said, oh, I'm in the process of getting a, a, uh, getting a whole bridge. I was like, I'm getting an <laughs> a implant right now. I said, so I got a, a, a fake tooth in. And she was like, that's what I fucking look." She's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. She said, that's what I fucking love about you is that every time you come here, you remind me what real is. Right. I don't know how to be that other person. And the
0: person. thing is, L.A. is not... L.A. is not full of fake people. That's it's the one not because Tiffany Haddish say. is
1: one of the realest motherfuckers it's I know. It's full of
0: real people. <laughs> there's a fake environment because there's so many people that you see. There's so many Maseratis and Ferraris and people who get out of the cars who are perfect and they got their eyebrows done. And I'm talking about the guys. They got their, <laughs> exactly. they got their eyebrows done and their implants and their clothes are exactly perfect and their hair doesn't, not a hair out of place. And I'm not used to that. Like, you know, I went probably two years without getting a normal haircut. And it was because I didn't want to ever get wrapped up in who I was as much as what I'm doing. I'm telling jokes, are the jokes funny? If the joke is funny, my hair could be all over my head or neatly cut, it's still funny.
1: I don't even know if it's about the look though, more is it about the conversations. Like you can't have conversations that are just completely um, opposite or or completely detached from industry. It's like, can we just talk about Regular shit. I don't want to talk about this particular show that's on TV. But you know everybody went out
0: there to to make it. So it's a it's a weird place because no one went to LA because they like the weather. Even though the weather is better than everywhere else, everyone went to LA to get on a show. Everyone went to LA to become a movie star. Everyone went to LA to get their, their pilot scene or their writing scene. And so when you're talking to them, they're focused on their goal. What can you do to help me get to my, if you can't help me, then why am I talking to you? Let me move over and go talk to this person. And it's for you're always interviewing while you're out there. And yeah. I you know, just can we go get a, a fucking sandwich? They got a good Ethiopian restaurant. Can I go get some food and talk shit about the food? Um, the first day I was there with Dave, we met his agent and a bunch of comics that I know came out to fuck with us. And that was the most fun I had the whole time I was there because those were my homeboys. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to talk about comedy. Right. They wanted to talk about who was in the club. We saw, uh, what's the dude named Brian Pumper, and we were like, he still got on them same fake jewels from 10 years ago. Like We're, make, we're having fun in the same environment we would if you were just sitting around with your friends talking yeah. about life. The next few days, though, was pitch meeting sitting down with this person for general, and every conversation was, okay, when you go in there, you have to say this. Okay, when you go in there, you have to look like this. Okay, when you go in there, you have to do this. Okay, they're looking for this type of person. They look, and that that feels like work. But it's
1: like, as, as an artist, do you not have to play the game if yeah. you want your art to be sold?
0: Uh, yeah, I think there's a, a limit to it, though, right? I think there's, you have to play, I, I don't like the idea of playing the game as much as being aware of what the game is. Right, so the game for me is uh, you're trying to get someone to fund what you're doing, whether that's the big networks or a crowdfunded thing. Like, there are people who do YouTube who say fuck TV and will never do TV. And the reason why is they're making enough money on YouTube doing their own thing the way they want to do it that they don't need the sponsorships. They don't need that money. But, you know, for me and you, I do stand-up. And in order for me to make a living doing stand-up, I need someone to know that I exist. And that means I have to do a TV show. I don't want to audition for TV shows. That's
1: so real because my agent... Uh, my previous agent That was the biggest thing I'm like yo Why you can't get me In some of these clubs I'm, I'm like It's a thousand and one clubs Here in Milwaukee It's a thousand and one clubs here And these like Places that are really close to me That I can go to And he's like Well when I pitch you to them They're like who is she right. we, we don't know who she is What has she been on And I don't have anything To sell them He said that's why We're sending you on these auditions Trying to get you a role So we can point them In a direction Like oh she's so and so Off of here right. And I was just like What the fuck Like I'm funny though And a lot of the people That y'all bring in Are not funny, you know what I mean? And and no diss, because I hate to judge another person's art. But they'll bring in somebody from TV. They'll do. I've seen it so many times where they have no context. They, I mean, no content. And I'm listening to them, and I'm like, "What? You're just on stage ranting about your your character."
0: But people will pay for that, and that—that's the scariest part. Is. When we got to the point where someone would pay for I almost a, sound bitter. Uh, well, like, I mean. It's, I'm not
1: bitter, y'all. I'm not bitter. It's not, I just thought about that. I was like, well, I sound comedy, bitter. I'm not bitter. Comedy
0: is a purest thing. Like, if you're funny, you're funny. And if somebody's not funny I'm and not they're selling tickets, it feels weird. You're like, how is this person who you got 10 million Vine followers? So you've been funny before for six seconds. Now you've got to spill 45 minutes. So that's 10 six seconds times 45.
1: Low key. Did I tell you about that? That's hard as shit. Did okay. I tell you about damn, damn fool the show? He told me that he was um, working with a dude that was like a, a fucking YouTube, mm. or a, not YouTube, but an Insta-famous Insta dude. Yeah. And he was featuring for him. And he thinking to himself, like, how the fuck have I been doing stand-up for this long and I'm featuring for this dude that could barely even understand what a what a what joke, a joke is. is. So he went on, he said the first night, because I think they were doing two nights, the first night he went on before him, killed He was like, I'm going to make this motherfucker work, right? right? So he went on, he did his thing, and dude went up there and literally bought Like, after 10 minutes, he didn't have anything else to say. So the next night, the guy was like, yo, would it be cool if you went up after me? And he said, no, they're paying you $10,000 to do this. They're not paying me $10,000 to go up last and do 45 minutes. He's like, nigga, I'm getting $2,000. To do my first 20. Now, if you want
0: to give me 3,000 of the 10 that they're giving you, another three on top of that, then, yeah, maybe I will. But Right. I'm, but that's happened. Shit, Bo did that to me one time. They gave me, and and it was a messed up situation, but I understood. Uh, they were selling tickets with me and Bo doing a show in Newport News, and they sold, like, 250 tickets. 200 of them, basically, they sold because of me. And at the time, I had the YouTube uh, popping. But I only had, like, 12, 13 minutes of material. That's right. tops, Bo got three, four hours.
1: Yeah.
0: All the way up until 20 minutes before Bo went on, me and Bo both thought that Bo was closing that show. They came into the dressing rooms and they had given us uh, separate dressing rooms and we were feeling like big shots. I went into his <laughs> dressing room and I ain't say nothing because I realized his dressing room was half the size of mine. Right. And I went, uh-oh. Like I sensed something was off already. Yeah. He, right when they came in and made the uh, announcement, I looked at him and I was like, man, look, I don't want to follow you. He said, no, you sure as fuck don't.
1: You
0: sure as hell don't. So I went there, I said, man, well, we'll figure it out. So I walked back in my in my dressing room. He comes over my dressing room, and he goes, nigga, oh, they had this shit planned out before now. They just didn't want to say shit because they thought one of us would back out. And Bo, uh, he went on stage, and for 30 minutes, he tried to set that motherfucker on fire. Bo killed that night. Uh, and I remember going up behind him like, I can't follow this dude, so I just did what I did. I didn't try. I didn't think about him being better than me or what his set was. I just did what I thought I could do, and I got through it.
1: Yeah. But
0: the thing is, I could sell tickets. I understood then how bullshit the industry was. Yeah. Right. I understood then that even though it benefited me, that the industry only cares about who can put asses in seats. They don't care about what's funny. They don't care about who's good. They don't care about who's who can put a joke together. They don't care about the quality of the product. The only thing they care about is can I get... Three hundred people in these three hundred seats. And that's so
1: fucked up though because it, it it gives a reputation for you, right? So now you Bo goes up, he kills. Mm-hmm. Then you come behind him and you're not as funny. Even if you are funny, right. they remember him Bo, because this nigga is he killing was, the game. He murdered it. Right. <laughs> and so then you go up and then afterwards they're like, Damn, old dude from the nightly show ain't that funny. That's he's not make, that good. That's exactly he's not you know, and that's headline. their impression of him. After you.
0: that night, uh, uh when people would uh, Asked me the headline, I would turn them down. And I needed the money bad as a motherfucker. But I also knew that I planned on being a comic forever. And I didn't want to burn my bridges back then.
1: Yeah. Right? Like, if
0: I had gone up and I'm doing hours and hours, and I really don't have an hour, most of it's crowd work. Even if I'm selling out, I can't get those people to come back and see me again. Yeah. But if if we put something together where they said, hey, can you come and do an hour? And I said, I'll tell you what I can do. Can I bring friends? And they say, yeah. And I said, okay, cool. I'm going to host it. And I'm going to put <laughs> up my, you know what I mean, the funniest people I have. And the show is going to be me hosting. I'm going to do my little 10 up front. And I'm going to be funny as fuck for 10 minutes. You're going to remember that. And then in between comics, I'm going to be like, yo, keep it up, baby. We having a good time. Da-da-da. You're not going to forget me now. Because I haven't had a bad set. And I did, I, I gave you the benefit of bringing other good comics with me.
1: That was a great, that That's was a That's the great only way to way, do it. If you uh, headline though, you fucked yeah. it up.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, comedy is not one of those things Hosting
1: where, used to be. The, the person they came to see. It used to be the MC.
0: And that was a brilliant move because the host could put together a great show with somebody who had more material than him, even if he was more popular. Yeah. Now they wanted to save money, so they like, nah, we gonna, we want to pay you to draw and we want to pay you to headline. That's cool, but you got to have that type of material. There's too many motherfuckers out there that's like, I'm a headliner, and they got 25 minutes of good material. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not, you know, and they like, yeah, I can do 45. Sure, you can do 45. But But do you have 45 45? minutes of good material?
1: Yeah.
0: And if you have 30 minutes of good material, then you're a feature. If even if the feature only has to do 20, you only have 30 minutes, B. If you're gonna do 45, you need to have an hour. If you're gonna do an hour, you need to have an hour fifteen, an hour and a half. And that's just because some shit you're gonna try one night and you're gonna look out in the audience and they're gonna be like, nope. I saw Mike Samp, who to me is one of the funniest he's motherfuckers so in Chicago, period. And he's in this real cool place where he's getting a lot more work on the north side. They're starting to acknowledge that he's funny. But he's also in that place where he's starting to he's got to figure out for himself what he can and can't do in these different rooms. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, last night I saw him do this joke, which is funny as shit to oh, me. What was he at last night? Uh, Laugh Factory. Oh, and he's God. got that bit about the dude in the wheelchair when yes. he was in special ed. That's a funny-ass joke. But somewhere in this particular crowd, they saw saw Wheelchair and felt like he was joking people in with disabilities. And they just got quiet. And he had them laughing before that. And he got them back after that. But I watched it like, oh, y'all not on board because he said that. the shit's funny as and a And he's killed
1: that joke there before, I've seen so him kill that joke. Depend- it was that particular crowd. crowd. Yeah. Right.
0: So it's, it's a matter of if you have... If you got mm-hmm. enough material, like Sam has enough material, he could throw that joke out the window, never do it again at the Laugh Factory, and still have enough time to go. But there are a lot of people if they if that joke doesn't work for them, they don't have a replacement. Yeah. Like if they tell me you're doing uh, 20 on this first show and you're doing the second show, you can't do any of that same material. Right. Okay. All that's, right.
1: That's happened too before, but it was like don't repeat material. Yeah, that's. So you got to come with a fresh. You know, it's so interesting though because this art is. It's like when I think about, you know. Mike, and I know that he only has my best interest at heart, right? And I think about my therapist and they're telling me to step away from it. And I'm like, how can that even almost remotely benefit me? Like <laughs> I can't even imagine
0: I, I don't think stepping away
1: where it would benefit me in a way that I would feel good about it. I feel like that would if anything is gonna bring a lot of anger and frustration right. in my house and, and I'm gonna feel
0: So you're fixing one you know, problem by creating another. Yeah, move.
1: it's like I don't I don't get it.
0: And, and the other thing is, I don't think people realize when you say, I'm confused, that's not a negative.
1: Yeah, it's right? just like, like, I'm uncertain, I'm of, uncertain. What, of what's happening right now in this very moment. Like, I have all these different things going on, right? You got a podcast. Right. I'm doing a two queens, one mic with Brandy. Right. You know, on the stage. Where's my focus? Right, the, the fucking house team at Second City, right? Writing a fucking book, right? Doing all these different things, and I feel like I'm spreading myself thin right. with all of these different projects. And if we'll be honest, and,
0: any one of them can be cut except stand-up. Like, that's how right. my mind works. Right, it's like,
1: yeah. Remember
0: me and Dave were doing, uh, like, five different shows a month? At one point, it yeah, was like we had a again. weekly shit. No, we weren't. We were killing ourselves. Yeah. It seemed like we were, like, from the outside looking in, It's like, damn, they everywhere. They got the weekly show here. They got a monthly show here. They, they doing a show here at the gallery. They got these shows there's pop-up shows. They doing it. But what was happening was we were spending more time promoting than we were
1: creating, creating, yeah, and it
0: was killing me. And I would tell Dave like, "Yo, man, I can't. I'm not doing that shit, man. You want me to promote a show for Friday in one part of town, and then we have another show on Saturday, and one of those shows is gonna pop, one of them's not. That's just how it works."
1: It is so interesting that I can make that decision in regards to other things because I had a conversation with one of my partners at, on a project, and she wanted to do this huge conference and this other shit for women and all in comedy and stuff. And I was like, you know. And then the time frame she gave me, to me, was just unrealistic. And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, I don't want to put myself on a project that I'm going to leave you doing the majority of the work. I said, and not only that, I feel like we can build to a point where we can create... Create a good product and then have other people that market it and other people that set it up and other people that do all the back end work. So all we have to do Mm -hmm. is create create content. Well,
0: that's what we are. And that's the part that, you know.
1: But we get stuck in doing all the other shit.
0: Especially, and, and, and this isn't to make this weird, but especially black artists because we don't a lot of times know how to connect with management. We don't know how. Yeah. to start. And second, management sometimes doesn't recognize what we do because it doesn't look like everything else they've seen. And so until it, something like this pops, then they're like, oh, that shit does work. Like, you look at Atlanta and Blackish and all of these shows, for years and years we were told that diverse shows and Don't shows were black and insecure. We were told mm-hmm. that all of these black shows with diverse casts and black leads wouldn't cross over into the mainstream. And then they just recently found out, they just did a poll and all of those shows, the majority of their viewers are not black. And I so bet. they're like, oh, we can get white people to watch black shows. And black people have been like, they've been fucking with us. But white people have always fucked with us. It was the networks that didn't believe they would. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with uh, some managers. They'll come and see you kill at Jokes and Notes, and they'll go, that's not going to work But that's a the black mainstream. audience. Right, yeah. that's not going to work on a mainstream yeah. stage. And then you take a damn fool who I've seen destroy every—I've never seen damn fool. Damn fool is amazing. I've never seen him bomb. And we brought him to the Laugh Factory. It was made, he's done the Laugh Factory maybe four or five times. But this was, he hadn't done it in a couple years. The majority of the audience was white. And when I say he destroyed to the point where the dude who was headlining behind him was pacing.
1: He Back was uncut. He was like,
0: yo, who the fuck? And this is with dude, one of the Chicago's finest, who was uncut. He was like, who the fuck is this dude? Because he doesn't ever come on the north side, right? So what a lot of times people think, Oh, that's that urban shit. That's that da 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 It works if you have good jokes. And a lot of those comics actually have good jokes. Yeah. You just and, turn oh, they the have volume good, They have
1: really good stories. Great stories. And then they always end it well where it's like, oh, shit, that was a joke. Well, they it add did the other stuff into into a to a
0: it, too, that we you don't see. It's the performance aspect the of The performance it. aspect. There's a performance. One thing about urban The comedy, animation, the walk, changing of the voices, the becoming different people. The characters, the, the act outs, yeah, the hand acting, gestures, yeah. the, the facial expressions, the very big, broad gestures, and stuff that I learned in theater, when you're on a stage without use of a camera to zoom in, the bigger the gesture, the easier it is for the audience to read it. Mm-hmm. And when you do a lot of these mainstream rooms, they're used to doing, especially like in New York, where the stage is really small and everybody's close to you. If you're too
1: big, it's overwhelming. Big, it's, crazy. it's like, shit, right, this like, person it's such is... Wow. Down.
0: Right. But we're doing 300, 300 seat laugh factories and improvs, you gotta go big. And they're used to, the urban comics here are used to doing jokes and notes, where if you don't go big, no, the people in the back can't see you. That's true. So when they come to the laugh factory, a lot of these comics, if the house ain't full, they don't know how to kill. I've seen damn fool murder a, a mid-sized crowd. So you know, a lot of managers and agents, I think, don't know how to read that. It's not that they don't think it's funny. They don't know how to package that so that networks and comedy clubs will agree to do it. But Dan Fool has been murdering everywhere, and it's a lot of comics like him. Sam is starting to get on. I
1: feel too that we we sometimes as artists don't have. Uh, like me, right, While I'm saying I'm a little bit confused about this. What do I have? If you don't understand exactly what it is you want and exactly what direction you want to go in, mm-hmm. you can't expect management right. to support your ideas. Yeah. And if they get on board and they start pushing you and pulling you in a different direction and you just want to be seen, you're going to go in those directions and not find necessarily yourself for happiness. You'll just find that, that the, the monetary benefits that come along with it. But And that's why I think I struggle. It's like I don't want to be... You know, pulled and pushed to be this or to be that. I want to follow my heart with my with my art. I want to follow what it is that I am passionate about and the things that I like to talk about. And the thing, you know, even as a comic, I'm not always funny. I talk about very dramatic, hard shit, and I do that on stage, and I do that on my podcast, and I do that in my writings because that's what I know.
0: That's what that's what humans are, and I think this the problem is for a lot of comics is we're. With- we think we have to be funny all, all the time, the time. Yeah. and you don't. And and But the other thing I've learned this in the last 12 months, a lot of stuff that I said, I don't want to do that because it's not towards my goal, right? Mm-hmm. My goal is to be funny for an hour and a half because I only need an hour of it. And once I burn that hour for a stand-up special, I still got 30 minutes to build my next hour. That's yeah. my thought. Then I realized, because they tried to get me to do a theatrical here, I was like, I don't want to do a theatrical, and then I end up doing Black Side of the Moon. Which turned out to be amazing, but it also taught me how to write, work with a cast, um, find find myself on stage to understand how the the audience sees me. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from this thing that I would have never done before, right? So now I'm writing a one man play again. Something I was like, man, what the fuck would I be writing a play for? I could use that time to work on my hour. But in the process of doing that, I've had to tell some stories that I haven't told before. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot all about the dude hollering up the other dude's ass. Yes. I didn't I didn't even remember that <laughs> one. And so in the process of telling these stories for a stage play, stuff that I never would have thought should fit in my stand-up is in my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Same thing with acting. I was like, why would I? Why do you keep sending me on these dramatic acting roles? I'm not going headline fucking improv somewhere because they saw me on NYPD Blue, motherfucker. Right. But then I realized that in the process of me doing taking these acting lessons and learning how to create this thread where I don't break eye contact with this person even after I stop talking. So now I'm getting an emotion from this person. Now they're understanding what I'm saying, and I don't have to go big. It's all in my eyes. I can learn how to do that with the audience. So all of these things that I don't, like you said, they're still pulling me in a bunch of different directions that don't seem like they have anything to do with my goal. But it all connects. But it all connects. Yeah. It all connects. In the end, eventually, before you die.
1: And I feel like it's easier to be dramatic and come back and be funny yeah. than it is to only feel like you have to be funny and then try to switch that and be dramatic.
0: Well, people say that comedy is just drama well-disguised. Yeah. Because if you think about the funniest comedy, there's some pain in it. There's some type of story in it. Even in your best bit, if you take your best bit and strip away the punchlines, it's still a story. If yeah. I strip away negrophobia, if I strip away all of the funny parts of negrophobia, there's still a point to it. If I strip away... All of the funny and punchlines from the Skittles bit, there's still a point to that. If I strip away the spanking, all of the funny parts from the spanking bit, there's still a point there. So all I've done is take these three points that I wanted to make about these three ideas and tell you this is my take on spanking. This is my take on people being afraid of gay people. This is my take on black on black crime. Mm -hmm. I took those three takes and made them really, really funny. But my take is still in there. And so that's what drama is to me. It's like, to me, drama is really easier than stand-up. Way easier, because you felt all of these emotions. You've been hurt before. You've been upset before. You've been nervous before. You've been angry before. You felt all of those things,
1: and you need all of and those you need in order to empower a character. And you don't have and to make order order anybody to empower laugh a comedy. at comedy. All of it. Yeah, <laughs> so, man, that was a good combo. Um, um, good luck out here to all the artists that's trying to figure it out. I don't think it's ever gonna be a time where we're not trying to figure it out, even when we have the monetary benefits of it all and and we've uh, published a few books out, and we've done a few. Like I don't think that even some of the most um some of the biggest artists that we value and we look up to have it figured out. I think it's always a, a search. But
0: all yeah. right,
1: as Kelly Talks with Monk, um we out. We'll see you guys next week. Burp.